It's Sunday. Huh? Yeah. You might need to run a couple lights. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to Luke chapter 9, and we're going to continue our journey there that we began. And I, I hope you can see why this is uh, this kind of fits in with what we're doing. Because remember, a few weeks ago now, Jason shared with us out of Luke chapter 8, the sower went out to sow. Remember? And then Luke chapter 9, I just don't want you to miss how these all fit together. Luke chapter 9, you have Jesus sending out the 12, giving them authority and power to go, right? And then in Luke chapter 10, you have him sending out the 72. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to Luke chapter 10. And, and, and sown in between all of that, the concept of go, 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 right? We can see it in three chapters. When you get to the end, just in case you're wondering, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, he's going to do it again. He's going to say, hey, you guys remember when I sent you before? Now I send you again. So all of this is, is sown in between it is this idea, who is Jesus? Who's the one that's sending us? How is he empowering us? How do we go? Now the struggle that they have, you don't have. See, when we read this story, they, they don't have the Holy Spirit. If you believe in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you do. You have what they were missing until the end of the gospel. Now, Jesus giving them authority and power, He gave them what they needed to go, and that's why they were successful, and that's a big key anytime we go, right? We need to be empowered by Him. But I just want you to know how many opportunities there are. You think it's, a, it's just chance that, that there's a pastor in Nigeria happens to be in Idaho? Come on. Uh, today, come through whose heart is to see the church of Jesus Christ United under one banner, doing one work, bringing evangelism to the world. At the same time, the National Day of Prayer, whose theme is, what Marie? Unity. Unity. Oh, crazy. Who, who in that work, we, we sent out a bunch of letters to a bunch of uh, churches and pastors who we cannot ever get to work together. And they all showed up. And now we have an abundance of pastors that are going to be there at the National Day of Prayer praying for what? Unity. We have a pastor from Nigeria coming to say what? Man, the church needs to be unified. Doesn't it make you feel good to know that right now, in well, not this exact moment because of the time difference, but in Nigeria, there literally are churches full of hundreds of people praying for you. Everywhere I went in Nigeria, they were praying for the United States. Everywhere I went. Because they feel this camaraderie with the United States. They feel like we are their spiritual father. Or parents, if you will. And they watch the news just like you do. And they see the stuff that's going on in our nation. And they say, man, we need to be praying for the United States. And so they are. And at the same time, all that's going on. We're in Luke 8, 9, and 10. Where Jesus is preparing the people to go. There's no such thing as coincidence. There are only Godowinces. And God wants us to open our eyes and see. To see that, yes, we are being called to go. Right? We know the Great Commission. Everybody knows it, right? Jesus is going to declare at the end of the Gospels, He's going to say, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, so go. And make disciples. That's the great commission. 
Everybody knows that exists. That is what 8, 9, and 10 are, are preparing the soil for. You guys with me? The soil just being prepared. Because we're really going to see the outpouring of the kingdom of God on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, pours out on the church, and the church is born. And you see the beginning take place. All of this is not just happening by happenstance. So when we look at Luke chapter 9, we're going to read this morning from verse 18. It says, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets of old is risen. Then he said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, You are the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there will be some standing here who will not taste of death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to you this morning, as we dive into Scripture, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, God. Help us to see that which you're pouring out for us, that we can lay hold of it all. That we can comprehend why. Why are we called to go? Who is it that is sending us? Lord, we pray that you be glorified and magnified in this place as we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see here, sown in the larger context of sowing, the larger context of the preparation of the soils, the the soils and, and the desire for us to follow Jesus. In the parable of the sower, who's the sower? Jesus is, right? Now, Jesus said to every one of those disciples, what? Come and follow me. What does that mean? Do what I do, right? Come learn from me. Isn't that what he says? Right out here on the wall, we have a scripture. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Right? Come to me and learn from me. Learn from me. We want to... Be followers of Jesus Christ. That's what being a disciple is all about. So sown in this is, who is Jesus? Because before you can sow, you got to settle that question. Right? You have to settle the question, who is He? It matters. In fact, it may be the only thing that matters, because it's the central hinge pin of the gospel. Central in it all. We want to hold fast to it. So as we look at the scripture this morning, we see, we talked about this, uh, not last week, Levi was sharing about Mexico, but the week before, we shared about this and we closed out with this idea. Most important question, who do you say I am? That one matters. 
Who do you say? He starts with, what did everybody else say? You go out and go ahead, go home and put in Google, who is Jesus? What kind of stuff do you think you're going to get back? Some good, some bad, all kind of stuff, right? You're going to hear everybody's opinion of who Jesus was and who Jesus wasn't. And it's the exact same idea that Jesus is bringing to the disciples. What, who do they say I am? So they quote all these things. Some say this, some say that. And then he said the most important part, who do you say I am? That question is vital. If you and I are going to be sowers of the word of God, if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, we have to be able to answer that. Answer that. And what do we see here? The answer that Peter gives the first part that we want to hold on to when we understand what discipleship is all about? Belief in the true identity of Jesus Christ. Who are you? You are the Mashiach Nagid. The Messiah. The King. The once and future King. Jesus Christ. You're the Messiah. That's, that's Isaiah 53. You are Messiah. That's Isaiah 61. That's Old Testament scripture filled, rife with examples that speak of Messiah. He's saying, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. So vital. But then he goes on in verse 21 to tell us, not only do we have to believe in his true identity, who is he? In John chapter 8, Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. You guys heard of that verse before? I had a, uh, there was an old, old timer from our neighborhood in California who used to train uh, Jehovah Witnesses, and he would train them by bringing them to my house. <laughs> Somehow he'd always catch me when I was doing something I'd rather be doing than, than arguing with somebody else about Scripture. But that's where I would immediately go. Here's what the Word of God says. Unless you believe that Jesus Christ is eternal God, you will die in your sins. And he said, where do you get that? And I said, well, let's go to John chapter 8. We're reading John chapter 8. And Jesus declared, unless you believe I am, that's what it says literally, ego I me, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. I said, that's the very name that God used to describe himself to Moses in, in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses says, who shall I tell the children of Israel has sent me? And God said, you tell them I am has sent you. So I shared this, and he said, well, that's the dumbest argument I ever heard. But you, don't, you don't get to come in my yard and tell me that. You've you got to do that from a neighbor's yard. But anyways, he said, that's the dumbest argument I ever heard. He's just saying, unless you believe I exist. So I said, so you're a universalist. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, if that's true, if what you're saying is true, all you have to do is believe that Jesus existed, then everyone on earth who believes Jesus has existed is saved. Oh, no. No, that's not right. Okay, you don't get to just make up what you want. Either he's saying, I am eternal God, or he's saying he just is someone who exists, and if you believe that, you're good to go. You won't die in your sin. You see, Jesus doesn't give us the opportunity to play with who he is. He doesn't give us that opportunity. He lays it out clearly for us. We have to believe in who Jesus Christ said he was. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you will be saved. You've got to believe. Homo logeo. You've got to believe 
who Jesus said he was and what he said the point of it all was. He says in, in Luke 9.21, he strictly charged them and commanded them, don't tell anyone. Now, does that seem a little weird to you? In the midst of three chapters, go and so, go and so, go and so, don't tell them who I am. That don't seem weird? It ought to seem weird to you. It ought to jump out and you go, wait a minute. What did he say? What did they preach? What was the message that they were to preach? Repentance and the kingdom of God. Go preach repentance. Tell people they need to turn away from their sin. The kingdom of God is come. It's time. There's a moment. There's going to be a moment in time when we're going to see that outpouring occur. We're going to see salvation come forth. On that day, Jesus is not going to say, shh, don't tell nobody. On that day, he's going to say, tell them all. But for now, what did Jesus come to do? He come to die. Yeah? He's come to die. There's no question, this, dying on the cross was not plan B, C, D, E. He tried something else first and it didn't work out. Dying on the cross was plan A. I've come to die. So he spoke to the people in parables. Why? So they wouldn't stop him going to the cross. Why? Because if he doesn't go to the cross, nobody's saved. Oh. But after he goes to the cross, they don't use parables no more. Nope, they just speak straight. Why? Because now they have the Holy Spirit. Now salvation has come. Today is the day. Now is the time. That's what the scriptures proclaim. But at this time, as the disciples are going out, that's not the message. Guys, when they're going out, when Jesus is telling the parable of the sower going out to sow, and he sends out the disciples, and he sends out the 72, nobody's getting saved. People are getting called to get their life right and keep their eyes open because the kingdom of God is coming. And how do we know the kingdom of God is coming? Well, they cast out demons and they healed people. Something's coming, guys. Be ready. Keep your eyes open. And so we want to have those same eyes open. So Jesus is telling his disciples who he is. Hey, I'm God in the flesh. God in the flesh. God the Son. The Son of God. That's what it means. In a couple of verses, which we are never going to get to today, in a couple of verses we're going to see Jesus part the veil of his flesh, right? You guys have heard of the transfiguration? In the transfiguration, Jesus is going to stand before his disciples. He's going to peel back the veil and let them see his glory. My, that's pretty incredible. That's pretty incredible. But for now, he says, I can't show that to everybody. You know when he showed it to everybody? Easter morning. When he come up out of the ground. When he blew that stone off of the cover of the you know why they can't find the stone because that thing's in a million pieces he turned it into sand nobody's pushing that thing back over the hole now there's just big hole boom i'm out he wants everybody to know the glory when he ascended the scripture's going to tell us in first corinthians 15 as he as paul describes for us the gospel he's going to say he was seen by over 500 people at one time now, do you think about how that happens? How do you get seen by 500 people at one time? I'll tell you a real easy way. 
you very slowly float up into heaven. You don't think you'd go... Is that dude flying? You don't think that people are going to be looking like, Oh my gosh, what is happening? This is backwards. Gravity works the other way. Right? Gravity doesn't work with us going up. We stay here. Unless you're God. Then gravity obeys you. Not the other way around. We want to know who Jesus is. We want to see clearly who He is. And we want to believe in the necessity of His death. He says, don't tell anyone why. Listen, verse 22. The Son of Man, look at this word, must suffer. The Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the elders, priests, and scribes. He must be killed. And He must, on the third day, rise. Hey, that's what Jesus came to do. Now, most of the time when He told the disciples that, they couldn't handle it. Have you ever had God's plan and your plan be different? So that's what the disciples are going through. They're saying, I have my plan, and my plan looks like this. Jesus, we take over the world now. I don't see any reason to wait. And Jesus keeps saying, the Son of Man must be rejected. He must die. And he must rise again. And Peter's going to say, no, 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 no. And what does Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. What are you doing, brother? That's not the road of life, right? You're not following me. You're following somebody else right now. My way. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And it all fits together like a hand in a glove. We have to believe who Jesus is and we have to believe in the necessity of His death and resurrection. Listen to what John said. John chapter 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must, it is necessary. That's what that word means. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he did not believe in the name of the only Son of God. Did not believe in his name. Yehoshua. God is salvation. He did not believe God saves. He goes on in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10 verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. What's a good shepherd do? Lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and what? I lay down my... What did Jesus come and do? Verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life. Verse 18. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority. That means power. 
He says, I have the power to lay my life down. And I have authority, the power to take it back up again. I have the authority to die. And I have the authority to rise again. Folks, that is what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who believes that. Who Jesus is and what he came to do. That's what it is to be a disciple. But then, if we are a disciple, then what? What's next? Okay, if I want to follow you, Jesus, I want to be a sower of the seed. That's what the disciples are thinking. Then then I, I believe, okay, we believe you are the Messiah. We believe these things. Now, what do we need to do? Look what he says in uh, Luke 9.23. And he said to, what's that next word? All. So who's there? Just the twelve? It's probably at least more than the twelve. Can we agree on that? He's saying to all, all the people who are gathered. So this has application for you and I. All the people who are gathered around Jesus, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Well, we've all heard that before. You know the dangerous thing about verses we've heard before? You stop hearing them. You stop thinking about what it is it says. You stop thinking about what it is that God's calling us to. Very first thing we want to see out of this is He calls us to deny ourselves. That's separation from selfish desires. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. How do I become a disciple? I believe. Now you're a disciple. Now what do I do? Separate yourself from selfish desires. Let a man deny himself. Scripture talks about several things. You guys can pour yourself through the Word and find lots of things that the Word of God says, hey, stay away from that. Hey, stay away from that. Hey, stay away from that. Okay, so I'm not saying you stay away from that to become a disciple. I'm saying if you are a disciple, this is what you want to do. This is how you structure your life. Right? I, I am the perfect human being to be, uh, uh, to have a career as a donut taster. You look at me and you say, I wonder what Jackie's going to be when he grows up. I could say to you, I'm going to be a donut taster. Why? Because I look like a donut taster ought to look. Right? If I said to you, I'm going to be Mr. Universe, then you're going to laugh. You're going to say, dude. You look like a donut taster. (laughs) Not like Mr. Universe. Now, I could say all I want, I'm Mr. Universe, but the proof of the pudding is in the eating. So, when we come to this concept of discipleship, we become a disciple by faith in Jesus Christ. Period. But then there are things that Jesus says, this is what a disciple looks like. This is what he does. This is how he lives. One of the things that he does is he puts away selfish desires. He denies himself. He denies himself. He learns to say no. What is he saying no to? Well, there's a lot of things we could talk about. One of them is material prosperity. You've heard this all before, guys. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Why? Because on earth is temporary. Where does he tell you to lay your treasure? In heaven. Why? Because in heaven it's permanent. So if you're going to have a treasure, 
this is the point, have permanent treasure, not temporary treasure. Don't make your life about temporary treasure. Make your life about permanent treasure. How do I deny myself? I deny myself by saying, you know what, I, I, am, I can recognize wealth and riches are a tool. There's nothing wrong with them. Just don't let the tool possess you. You possess the tool. You get what I'm saying? Don't be possessed by them. Don't make your life about building bigger barns. We all remember the story? The guy kept building more and more barns. He kept having bigger and bigger crops, built more and more barns. And one day he said, you know what? This is the last barn I'm going to build. This is the biggest one I got so far. I'm going to fill this barn and that's it. And then he died. And Jesus said, fool, you made your life about building barns. But today, your life is required of you. It is appointed unto man once to die and then judgment. Today's the day you're going to stand before God. And you're going to look back at your life and say, what did I do with my life? I built bigger barns. There's nothing wrong with having big barns. They're a tool. Use them. What do you mean? How, how do I use them? Man, David Adeshina just was sh- up here telling you that the, some of the video, there's 16 minutes. I couldn't show the whole thing. You, if you remember, there's a part in that video where there's like 10 people sitting in white plastic chairs. And then the next time, the next time you look at that same picture, now it looks like maybe 100 people sitting in white plastic chairs. And it's hard to take a picture in, in 10 o'clock at night in Africa when there's no electricity. So I try to take a picture of how many people were there when it was over. But I'm telling you that there were hundreds of people who came forward to to receive Christ. And all it was, look, this is not overly complicated. All it was, was roughly $1,000 worth of equipment that we took to them and showed them how to use. And they went out in three showings and we see... 500 people get saved. Now, they're still showing it. They're still using it. You want to send treasure, keep treasure in heaven? Find something like that that you can support. I'm not telling you you've got to support this. You find it. It don't matter to me. You're not going to stand up in heaven and give account to Jackie or what you did. Who do you give account to? You give account to the Lord. So we got a choice. We can stand before the Lord and say, I I spent my life building big barns. Or we can say, Lord, I used the blessing you gave me and I affected the kingdom of God for you. I sent treasure to heaven. Those little kids are beautiful, man. And they live in a place with no water, no electricity. They never even seen an Xbox. They don't know what it is. You pull out a a phone that they've seen. And you you see these guys are just ready. The, you go to the, the schoolroom, those that schoolroom where the kids were singing row, row, row my boat. Those every one of those kids are Muslim kids. Every one of them. Whose parents are dead or dying. In those camps, the the worst rate of mortality in those camps are the children. We got a chance to take them a gospel. I can't afford to go to Nigeria every couple of weeks 
So don't it make sense to just go take some stuff that they can use and let them do it? And let them minister to their people and watch God do incredible things? How do I deny myself? Find something like that that you can get behind. Find something like that that you can be a part of. So that when you stand before God and He says, Hey, I gave you five talents. What would you do with them? I took your five talents, Lord, and I got you ten. You gave me five talents. Look at the hundreds of people who got saved. Wouldn't you rather be able to do that? Than to say, well, look at my Harley. I can pick on that. I have one. I don't get nothing for that. We want to we wanna see. Let a man deny himself. We also think in, in denying yourself, part of that denying is, and the biggest, I'm going to tell you, the single biggest problem with the lack of power in the United States, in the church, is this next issue. Let a man deny himself sexual indulgence. I, if I had a nickel for every time somebody tells me, you know, the culture today is, we just all sleep together, and after we slept together for a while, we decide who we're going to marry. Well, let me tell you, that, that's not okay. I don't care what the culture says. I'm telling you what God says. It's not okay. Oh, it's not a big deal. We're just going to do this, and we're going to live this way, and we're going to be this way, and we're just going to, it's just how it's going to be. And then at the same time, don't come in my office and say, Jackie, how come there's no power in the church today? Well, because the church is in sin. And making excuses for it instead of denying themselves and saying, you know what? That's not God's way. Well, I like it. Yeah, me too. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says sin isn't good, it doesn't feel good. Probably my, oh, I, I don't usually tell a story on you, babe. Sorry. I don't have this one for me. Um, so, when my wife was young and a little crazier. Sorry, hon. She wants, yeah, I'm getting away, just in case. She, she, I should let her make confession, not confess for her. So my wife uh, uh, was dating a drug dealer, and he gave her cocaine. And she tried cocaine, and she said, you can ask her, she'll tell you. She said, I better not ever do that again, because that is as good as I have ever felt in my life. Why do people spend all their money pouring it into a drug? Why do people continue to live in sin? There's nowhere in the Bible that says, you know, don't do that because, because it doesn't feel good. No, the Bible says don't do that because it's killing you. It's destroying your life. It's destroying your witness. It's destroying... Your power to be who God wants you to be. And as long as we make excuses, well, it feels good and I like it. Well, more power to you. We'll continue to be powerless. We'll continue to stumble. But Jesus said, if you're my disciple, here's one of the things that you're going to do. Deny yourself. I really like it. I think Jesus would even say, yeah, I get it. 
You really like it. But for you to follow me, I need you to deny yourself. There was a time in my life I didn't understand why my whole life was going upside down. I spent most of my life being a heathen. And things seemed like they were okay. Then I started living my life as a Christian and it all fell apart. Anybody ever experienced that? And then I'm like, okay God, what's the deal? I don't understand. I don't understand why everything in my life is upside down now. And it was, it was just, I uh, was in the truck on a freeway in California and he whispered in my ear. I literally could almost feel the breath on my ear. He said, I want to know, do you love me more than these? And when he said that, I said, take it all. You can have it all. I want you more than anything else. That's what faith in Christ looks like. I want you more than anything else. I want you more than my health. Here's a hard one. I want you more than my children's health. Or my grandkids' health. I want you more than anything. Let a man deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. The next thing we see is a sacrifice of our own personal goals. Take up your cross. Sometimes we think taking up a cross means we're carrying a burden. Okay, stop thinking like a 21st century American, please. The Bible wasn't written in the 21st century. How many people know that? Those of you who don't know it, I have a class later on. So, when the Bible said, take up your cross, what did that look like to a second temple period Jew? What did it mean to them if you told them, hey, go get a cross and come follow me? What were the Romans doing with crosses? Crucifying people. And one day they crucified a thousand Jews. And you know when they crucify them, where they do? They leave them on the cross, lining the street, rotting bodies. So when you said to somebody, take up your cross and follow me, it wasn't a, you know, I have a burden to bear. That's not what it is. Taking up a cross means I'm on the road to die. What was Jesus on the road to do? What did he come and do? We talked about it. I read you a bunch of verses, right? He came to lay his life down. He came to lay his life down. He came to lay his life down. So when we say, Lord, I'm following you, what are we doing? Take up a cross and follow me. Where was the cross going? Golgotha. The place of the skull. What was happening there? He was dying. Come, follow me. I'm going to sacrifice my own personal goals because the road to die, here's a crazy idea, is really the road of life. The road to die. That's the way of life. Here's what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Take up your cross and follow me. The life I live now, how do I live it? I live by faith in who? The Son of God, who did what? 
who loved me and died for me. I am crucified with Christ. Galatians 6.14. Paul says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, taking up your cross, not carrying a burden, taking up your cross is saying, I'm dying to me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. How often? Oh, all the time then, right? Every day. How many times do I got to die to myself? Every day. You know what I learned about myself? Never gets tired of wanting stuff. (laughs) I've never had a day where I woke up and I said, you know what, today I don't want anything. If I did say that, in 10 minutes, I'm going to say, I want eggs. (laughs) Then I'm going to eat eggs. In a few hours, I'm going to say, I want Juanitas. (laughs) And a little while after that, I'm going to say, I want steak. Want never stops. Never stops. I want more and more. And more, I have to die to myself. I have to die, guys, I have to die. <clears throat> I have to die to my personal goals. i got to die to my position. Who am I? In Mark 10, verse 42, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. He's the humble king. So if we follow him, what does that mean? That I'm humble too. That means I have to choose humility. I have to choose humility. What do we want to do? Look, we want minions. Is there anybody who doesn't want minions? You guys don't know what minions are. Those little yellow guys. We want minions. Why do we want minions? Because they go do all our stuff. Are you kidding me? If I could get up in the morning uh, the other day and tell the minions, go mow the lawn. And the minions all went and mowed the lawn. I don't even care if they burned half the the neighborhood down. If my lawn got mowed, we all want to lord it over somebody else. But Jesus said that's not his way. His way is to serve. His way is to serve. I, I take up my cross. I die daily. I die to my own position. I want to I be a servant, not to be served. I die to popularity. What did John say? He, Jesus, must increase and I must. I die to my own popularity. Some preachers don't get that. They're pretty sure their popularity is important. I think the popularity of Jesus is important. And I don't care if anybody knows my name. Jesus is what matters. I need to die to my possessions. I want to be able to boast. But if I boast, what do I want to boast in? My stuff? I want to boast in the Lord. I want to boast in Him. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's about Him. It doesn't say you can't have possessions. I just can't be owned by Him. It's just stuff. You know what happens to your stuff? You know, do, do we think that when we get to heaven, there's an accounting by God to see, you know, how much stuff we got? If it is, it's going to be bad. 
Every once in a while in the board meetings, I, 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 will, I will share with the board. You know, we don't win an award in heaven to say we have the biggest savings account. Oh, we're supposed to be good stewards. I'm not saying, I'm not saying anything about bad stewardship, but what are you storing it for? There, there are people going into eternity without Christ. We can use it, right? It's a tool. It doesn't own us. It's a tool that we can utilize. That's what our stuff is. We need to die to our possessions. And then finally, he calls us to submit to a godly lifestyle. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Die to these things. And follow me. Hey, that's, that's a godly lifestyle, isn't it? Isn't Jesus saying, come follow me? Isn't that... He's saying, keep following me. Come on, guys, come on. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9 says this. Paul's prayer for the church of Philippi. I want to be found in Him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. not about me, it's about Him. It's not about shining a light on me, it's about shining a light on Christ. It's about glorifying Him. It's about shining His light. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. For what purpose? Verse 10. That I might know Him. And the power of His resurrection. I love that song. Because the resurrected King resurrected me. I was dead in my trespasses and sin and He made me alive. I want to know the power of His resurrection. And I want to share in His sufferings. I want people to treat me like they treated Jesus. Do you know why that's important? Helps me know I'm on the right road. I question myself when everybody loves me. When everybody's mad at me, I think I I might be in the right path now. You guys know what I mean? I mean, does it can you relate to it? Because sometimes, let's face it, it's hard to know. What do I do? A or B? Which way do I go? But I know Jesus, people were always upset at him I want to follow him I don't want to look for the smooth ground that says everybody will love it if you do this I want to follow the ground where where Jesus was with people that made other people mad I kind of liked it that people were mad at us because we wanted to minister to the Muslims I think that's a good place okay cool I think that's good. Because Jesus, they were mad at him because he wanted to minister to prostitutes. They were mad at Jesus because he wanted to minister to tax collectors. When people were mad at me when we were outside of Planned Parenthood, I thought that was good. Because they were mad at him when he would call them on their sin. Say, this is not okay. I want to I follow Him. I want to submit to His lifestyle. I want to share in His sufferings. And I want to die like He did. I want to die to myself. Me and Dave, when we go, like when we went to Nigeria, we talk about dying a worthy death. We're, we're both okay with uh, you know being in the wrong place at the right time and crazy guys with machetes get us. Because when I get to God, that will be kind of a cool deal. Right? Lord, I got martyred. 
I did not die watching Monday Night Football in my Lazy Boy. Right? There's, but, of course, that's pride, and I'll be in trouble for it. So, but we talk about, I'm going to die a worthy death. You know, the scariest thing in Africa was driving with people. Not with David. He, he, was, he was okay. Although, don't nobody let him drive your car here. But literally, I don't wear a seatbelt. I don't wear a helmet on a motorcycle. I know, so you can all send me letters later. Uh, there's a lot of things I don't do. I, I, I don't, just don't worry about those things. In Africa, I was ready to wear a helmet, put on my seatbelt, tie myself underneath the seat, and pray nonstop for hours, hoping we were going to live. That's not how I want to die. And so that's what we told the taxi driver. <laughs> this is not how we want to go, brother. Okay, so I want to submit my life to a, to a godly lifestyle. This is what discipleship looks like, guys. Faith in Christ and a life that changes. We've got a long ways to go and a short time to get there. So we're going to wait and do the rest next time. But I just want you to see all of these pieces. I hope you see. They all fit together. What's going on around us? What's happening in other places? What's happening with National Day of Prayer? What's happening here? It's all God. He's moving. He's doing something. He wants to know, hey, are those people who are my disciples, who believe in me, are they, are they ready to walk the life of a disciple now? Are you ready to follow him? Because he's going to send them out again in another chapter. And he's going to send them out again at the end of the book. And he wants to send you out too. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come study your word, Lord God. We want to know you. We want to know, God, the power of your resurrection changing our lives. We want to know the fellowship of your suffering. We want to be conformed into your image. We want to look like you. But God, a lot of times I still look like me. Help me, Jesus, to submit Help me, Jesus, to make the choice that says, Man, you told me about all these soils, and sometimes I think my heart's like a stone. I don't want to be a stone. I want to be pliable clay in the potter's hands. So you can mold me and make me to whatever you want me to be. God, I pray that the heart of your people here in Calvary Chapel Buell's to submit themselves into your hands and allow you to make a work that we would not even believe. We wouldn't believe it. God, I pray that you would do this work. God, that you would be glorified and magnified as we turn our hearts and lives toward you. Help us, Lord Jesus, hear the question, who do you say that I am? And if you do say this is who I am, then come follow me. Be like me. For this is the path of life. God, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.